All right, y'all, if you want to make your way back to your seat, we're going to go ahead and get started. As you make your way back to your seat, go ahead and grab your worship guide. Uh, I will tell you um, the passage for this morning is not in your worship guide, surprise. Um, so uh, if you will, you're going to need to open your Luke journal or your Bible or your device. Uh, and let's stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to dig in here. So again, uh, Luke 5, through 39 is not in your worship guide this morning. But if you will grab your Bible, your device, your Luke journal, we're going to read this passage. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. This is the word of the Lord. They said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece uh, from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. And we all say, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of the field. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, we've had a few technical difficulties uh, that uh, uh, have thrown me off a little bit. So, um, you know, sometimes that happens, and we trust the Lord and believe that he's going to move in power, right, as his word goes forth. So um, this spring and fall semester, we are in a series that we are calling Realia of Food and Drink. So uh, we're going to be going through the book of Luke. Um, if you've been journeying with us uh, since the beginning, we are now in chapter 5. Um, and uh, if you need a refresher on this word, what it means, Realia speaks to the objects and materials from everyday life, and it's used to be a teaching aid. So over and over throughout Jesus' ministry, you see Jesus use food and drink as a teaching object. And so throughout Luke's gospel, we're going to continue to see these over and over and over. Jesus using realia, these everyday objects of food and drink. And we're going to go back and uh, back again and again to these rhythms, these teachings of Jesus, how he responded to his disciples how he responded to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, how he responded to outcasts and sinners, those who were sick and lame, how he observed people, how he paid attention to people. We're gonna keep coming back to his teachings, his rhythms over and over again throughout this series. But the story that we're gonna dive into this morning, there's gonna be a pretty clear and repetitive theme. And the clear and repetitive theme is old versus new. So I thought it'd be fun to think about what is old versus new in our world today, things that we could relate to. Um, many uh, of our houses now have lots of walls, but we all love a good open concept feel, right? So we wanna delete those walls, open the space, we paint some cabinets, throw in a kitchen island, and it's a brand new house, right? Others of us, we've got our 2005 Honda Accord, which unfortunately has over 300,000 miles on it. We got to pawn it off to whoever will take it. And then we get a new Honda because those suckers last forever, right? So they say. 
Um, if you're anything like me, you've worn the same shoes since you were 15 years old, and they might have holes in them um, where your little pinky toe likes to pop out, right? Uh, if, if it's not you, you probably know someone who would identify with this problem. Did you know that in the state of Tennessee, you're supposed to renew your driver's license every eight years? Did you guys know this? So unfortunately, you're not 21 anymore. We've all aged a bit, okay? So it might be time for you to get a new license. I, apparently, they're more vintage looking now, right? Um, finally, my favorite all, does anyone remember these massive things called televisions, right? <laughs> Those space boxes, right, um, you had to find a, a friend with a strong back, right, to help you carry these down to your basement because they were massive and they were super heavy. So we said, out with the old, in with the new. We're thankful for new technology, more specifically lightweight inventions of a brand new TV. Um, but throughout this, uh, this message this morning, we're going to hear about old versus new. And we're going to keep going verse through verse through this passage and hopefully bring clarity to where there's confusion. Um, if you have read this passage before and been scratching your head at what this passage even means, you're not alone because I was there. So hopefully we'll bring some clarity this morning uh, to this passage. But jump back into the scriptures with me um, in your Bible, in your Luke journal, on your device. Verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. So the first natural question when we, at, when we read this passage is, well, who is they in this passage? So this is coming right off of the heels of what we learned about last week. Uh, Jesus showing up to Levi's tax collector booth. Um, they're going over to his house for dinner, and he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, according to the Pharisees. And these religious leaders, they grumbled at the fact that Jesus was hanging out with these folks. Um, I like to picture in, in my mind them just rolling their eyes to the back of their head, right? Just in complete disgust of who Jesus is choosing to associate himself with. And so from that context, we know it's safe to say that these religious leaders are having another conversation with Jesus. So right out of the gate, they're saying, you know, John's disciples, they are pretty spiritual, right? They fast a lot. They, dis they offer prayers. Oh, yeah, and so do the Pharisees. But Jesus, your disciples, they don't seem very spiritual. Your disciples are eating. Your disciples are drinking. The Pharisees' first criticism of Jesus is that he was spending time with outcasts and sinners. And now they're coming to him and saying, Jesus, you do too much celebrating. Why are you eating? Why are you drinking? Can't you see, Jesus, that you should be fasting? This is what spiritual people do, Jesus. Come on, get with the program, Jesus. The Pharisees, they practiced severe discipline as it pertained to their relationship with God. The Pharisees prayed often. They fasted often. In Luke 18, it says this, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. These religious leaders, they found so much identity in their outward piety when it came to their works. And they wanted everyone to see how 
godly they were. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that they would even look gloomy and they would disfigure their faces when they would fast just so that they could get the attention of others. They loved the outward appearance of looking better, of looking more holy than everyone else. This is the way that they lived and they didn't like what Jesus' disciples were doing. Become like us, they said. This is the right way to live. We know what we were doing. There's a rub there. There's a tension between Jesus and his disciples and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this day. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, can you make the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. So it's important to know in biblical times, weddings were a huge deal. People would literally come from all over for this massive celebration of wine and dancing to see this wedding celebration take place. And so Jesus is saying right here to the religious leaders, why should I make my disciples fast? I, the bridegroom, am here. I am with them. And that concept of, of bridegroom here, it's the relationship between God and his people. The word bridegroom throughout the scriptures is often used, <clears throat> excuse me, as a metaphor specifically for Jesus Christ and his people. The church is likened to a bride and Christ is likened to a bridegroom. So Jesus is the one who's always been faithful to his people. He's fulfilling a new covenant, ultimately through the shedding of his blood, which he gives a glimpse to here. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. There would soon come a day that Jesus would willingly sacrifice his life on the cross for the sins of the world. He would no longer be walking with them. But here's what he's saying to these religious leaders. He said, it's not my time. It's not my time to go yet. I am here. My presence is real. I am here with you. I'm in your midst. Jesus is saying, this isn't the time to fast. This is the time to feast. This isn't the time to fast. This is the time to feast. And I want us to think about this in the context of what we might deem inappropriate in its context. So just for example, picture yourself here. If your child was getting baptized at, East, at church on Easter morning, you would never sit on the back row with your head down on your phone scrolling through Facebook, right? On Christmas Eve, you would never remove all of the ornaments and all of the, uh, the stockings from the mantle to get down to the bare bones for your kids to walk into the living room and it's just blank. At your own wedding reception, you would never volunteer to start cleaning the dishes in the kitchen while the cha-cha slide is happening at your reception on the dance floor, right? That just doesn't make sense. It wouldn't be appropriate in its context. And Jesus is saying to his, these, uh, these religious leaders, it's not time to fast, it's time to feast. The wedding celebration is here. I am here, I have come to redeem. I have come to forgive sins. I have come to bring salvation. And so a natural question might be, well, what does that mean for us today? 
We understand it in this context here with Jesus and his disciples, but what does that mean for us today? Well, do we fast or do we feast? And if you're unfamiliar with fasting, fasting simply means to abstain from food for a spiritual reason. You fast to remind your body, your soul, your mind, uh, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You fast to remind yourself that we are completely dependent on him for all that we need. When we fast, we rebel against the spirit of the age that says we will be satisfied by something that the world has to offer. We fast because we remember that Jesus is better and he's the only one who will truly satisfy our souls. We fast because we want to yearn and desire more of his presence in our lives. So again, do we fast today or do we feast? The answer to that question is yes to both. We fast because we eagerly desire to be forever in the presence of Jesus, completely and fully, but we're not there yet. We eagerly await the day when we will gather at the marriage supper of the Lamb in which the bridegroom, who is Christ Jesus himself, will be united with his bride, us who are in Christ. So yes, we fast until that day. But we also feast. We feast. Although Jesus isn't physically with us anymore, he still dwells in us. He dwells among us. And so we can joyfully come to his table in remembrance of what he's done for us and the good gifts that he's given us. We come to feast on his presence and enjoy him forever. Pick back up with me in verse 36. Jesus tells them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does... He will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. So Jesus is using a parable here and he's saying this, in this illustration, you would never cut a piece, from, uh, a piece from your new clothes and put them on your old clothes. Why? Well, that would rip your new clothes and then that would ruin them, right? But then it would also look strange to put a new piece on an old piece. You would never do that. It just doesn't make sense. But that is exactly what the Pharisees and John the Baptist disciples are doing here. They wanted to tear off pieces of Jesus' kingdom and patch it onto their old man-made religion. They didn't understand Jesus' mission. Jesus was on the scene to say, I am doing a new thing. Jesus is saying, I am doing a new thing. The Pharisees, they wanted to mix match their lifestyles with the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus was telling them, it does not work that way. They saw Jesus and his disciples feasting when they should be fasting. And that butted up against their way of thinking and their way of living. Over and over and over again, you see this contrast between the Pharisees' ways of thinking and the Pharisees' way of living and Jesus' way. Look at this. The Pharisees wanted to see that they could see if they were righteous by their works. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, they loved their religious status. But Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. 
but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisees outwardly observed the law, but Jesus said, now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. The Pharisees loved the approval of men. But Jesus said, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What the Pharisees found worth and value and identity in was in total contrast to the way of Jesus. It's important to note here, the Pharisees, what they were doing was outwardly observing the law. But Jesus did not come to do away with the law, the Old Testament. Rather, he came to fulfill the law of the prophets. So the old, the old uh, garment here in this parable is not the Old Testament. The old garment is the ritualistic, legalistic, man-made religion that was based on tradition. Let me say that again because it's really important for us to understand this passage the old garment is the ritualistic, legalistic, man-made religion that was based on tradition. The Pharisees wanted to patch this system together with their works righteousness. And Jesus wanted nothing to do with that. It was not possible. Jesus went on to say this in verse 37. He tells them another parable. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst in the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good. So I'll take a wild guess here um, and say that no one has probably seen a wine skin before. Is that fair? Anyone? All right, <laughs> Colin shaking his head, no. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so uh, what would happen, here, here's a photo of, of what a wineskin would look like. Um, what would happen is as the wine would ferment, um, that gas would be released and that it would expand. Um, so it, it would not make, excuse me, it would make sense to put new wine into a new wineskin because it has room to expand, right? But you would never put new wine into an old wineskin because it would burst and then the wine would be ruined and then the wineskin would also be wasted. And so similarly, Jesus tells this parable because he's saying to the religious leaders, you can't mix the gospel of grace with a system of works righteousness. You can't mix the gospel of grace with the system of works righteousness. Paul says that. In Romans 11, he says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Philip Ryken said this in his commentary. He said, some people would be willing to drink in what Jesus said, but they would try to keep it within the confines of their old way of life. This New wine represents the new thing that Jesus was coming to do. Jesus came to eat and to drink with sinners. Jesus came to bring healing. He came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the captives free. Jesus came to bring salvation. He came to save sinners. Jesus was doing a new 
thing. Jesus was doing a new thing. And you know, it's really possible, it's really possible to know intellectually that something is good, right, and true, and still turn the other way and choose what is not good, right, and true. And that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 39. Read this with me. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. In some manuscripts, that word for good is actually better. And so some would say, Jesus, I think your teachings are great. Jesus, I think you are a wonderful man. I think you are good and right in your character. I think you're a great example to us. But I think that the old way is good. I think that the old way is better. That's called spiritual blindness. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The spiritual veil has yet to be lifted from their eyes to see their depravity. And guys, that's what religion does. That's exactly what religion does. It gives you this feeling that you're doing all the right things and you're checking the boxes and you're somehow squeaky clean on the outside. And you've bought the lie that many do, that somehow, some way, I can work myself to God. That somehow, some way, if I just show up to church enough, if I just know enough of my Bible, if I just read my Bible, if I just stop this sin, if I just start doing this, then I'll be approved by God. Then God would love me. Then he will accept me. But the gospel is this. There's nothing, there's nothing that you can do that would make God love you more. And there is nothing that you could do that would make God love you less. He loves you because that's who he is. And the issue is that you and I were born into a broken world full of sin because of Adam and Eve, sin in the garden. And there is real brokenness inside of your heart and mine. There's this chasm, this wide gap between us and a holy God. Why? Because we have sinned and fallen short of his holiness and of his perfection. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how many good things you do, no matter how good of a person you might think that you are, you cannot earn your salvation. Without Christ, the scriptures tell us you are spiritually dead in your sins. You are lost and you're heading toward an eternity in hell, forever separated from God. We desperately need a savior. And if that was the end of the story, that would be pretty bad news, right? But the good news of Jesus Christ is that God loves us so much. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son who lived a perfect life, righteous, no sin in him whatsoever. And Jesus knew that he would have to die for the sins of the world. He says it in this passage, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them 
This was prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he came onto the scene. This was why he came, to make a way for wayward sinners to come into fellowship, to come into a relationship with the holy God, to have our sins atoned for once and for all, to pay the penalty that you and I deserve. Jesus died to save you. And not only did Jesus die on the cross, but he rose again three days later, proving himself victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And the good news, men and women, is that you and I are invited to the table. You and I are invited to feast on the love and the grace and the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus Christ. We are invited to come and dine with the bridegroom who has always remained faithful to us. You and I are invited to taste and see that the Lord is good and forsake our old ways of outward religiosity. Jesus Christ has done a new thing in his life, death and resurrection. Jesus Christ has done a new thing in his life, death and resurrection. And that is good news for us this morning. So I'd like to address two different groups in this room this morning. The first group are those of you who have found yourself trying so earnestly to earn your way to God by your own merit Jesus said so very clearly, your works will never get you to me. The works, old, the old works righteousness system will not work. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, it is by grace that you are saved by faith. It's not of your own work. It's not of your own doing so that you, want, you can boast. It is by grace through faith that you're saved. So here's my question, if that's you. Have you repented? Have you repented? Have you turned from your sins and toward God and trusted in Jesus Christ in his finished work on the cross? Have you done that? Another way to phrase that, has Jesus done a new thing in you? Has Jesus done a new thing in you? He's the only one who can truly satisfy your soul. Repent and believe this morning. You are invited to the table. I recognize many of, the, many of you in this room have already done that. You've trusted in Christ, been walking with Jesus for a long time. Here's my question to you. What old ways of living do you need to let go of? What old ways of living do you need to let go of? Like the Pharisees, have you tried to find identity or security in your good deeds? Like the Pharisees, have you become prideful in how others receive you and give you recognition? Like the Pharisees, has your heart become callous, being solely concerned on how you look on the outside rather than being transformed from the inside out? If that's you this morning, there is love, there is grace, there is forgiveness at his table. Come to him and repent. Ask him to help you walk in humility 
in obedience to his word. We read uh, these lyrics a moment ago um, as Maddie led us. I would love for you to grab your worship guide. Um, the first song that we sang was Grace Alone. And I'm gonna read these lyrics over us. And as I do that, I just want you to think and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to impress these words on your heart. The new thing that Jesus has done in you. And if he hasn't, would you be willing to receive his love and his grace and his forgiveness this morning? Remember God's grace in your life. I'm gonna read this over us. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I'd hear your call, but Father, you worked your will. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne, but Father, you loved me still. And in love before the world's foundation, you predestined to adopt me as your own. You have raised me so high up above my station. I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone. You left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost, but Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone, but Jesus, you paid my debt. By your blood, I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown, and you rose that I might be a new creation I am born again by grace and grace alone. I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night, but spirit, you made me see. I swore I knew the way on my own, head full of rocks, a heart made of stone, but spirit, you moved in me. At your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened. On my darkened heart, the light of Christ has shone. Called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Heaven's citizen by grace and grace alone. So I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. Isn't that beautiful? By grace, through faith, you and I have the ability come into relationship, into fellowship with the Holy God. And his grace melts our stony hearts. His grace washes away our pharisaical hearts and minds. It is by grace and grace alone that we can come to the table and we can feast. We can feast and enjoy his presence forever and ever. But we also fast, right? Because we're not fully in his presence completely and totally yet. But one day we will be. One day we will be united, the bride of Christ with the bridegroom, forever in his presence, enjoying him. And he will get the praise that he alone is worthy of. At Redstone Church, we come to the table by grace and grace alone. Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke 22. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So we're about to enter into a time that we call Believer's Communion. Um, This is for those of you who have uh, trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation. We invite you to come to the table and feast and enjoy Jesus' presence. Give him great thanks. We do this, um, uh, uh, different families do this differently. Uh, if you wanna take, partake with your family, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to do this alone at your seat, you're also welcome to do that. Whatever you feel comfortable doing this morning. This is a moment for you to repent. Um, I encourage you to do so. Um, to trust in Jesus, I encourage you to do so. To give thanks for his body that was crushed for you, that his blood that was spilled out for you, I encourage you to do so. We're gonna have two stations at the front this morning, and two stations in the back. Maddie's gonna be singing during our time of communion, so whenever you're ready, you can partake.